Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and uh, we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. We're going to talk about uh, the enemy. Who's the enemy? Uh, there's a there's a cartoon character once said, I, "We have seen the enemy. He is us." And of course, that's really the problem: is that uh, that we are we are selfish. Uh, we are judgmental. Uh, we do not care about our neighbors. We want our own comfort. We want uh, we want what we want. Now that's that's really selfish to say. So we do things so that it doesn't appear that we're selfish. We we want to appear good too because we're vain. So we do things, you know, like go to church. We go to church, we dress up, and we go there, and and we have this desire to look good. Now, of course, that's not you. You don't do that. <laughs> uh, you know, that's another thing. We have philosophies about Christ, about our religion. You know, but you know, if we're Jewish, it's Moses and Abraham and. If uh, if you're Muslim, it's this, that, or the other thing. You know, like Muslim, everybody thinks Muslims are such a problem. Well, obviously, anybody who reads the life history published by Muslims of Muhammad know that there's a serious problem with that religion. You know, it, it advocates slavery. It advocates, you know, rape. It advocates murder. Uh, it advocates invasion and oppression. And, I mean, it's right there in the text. I mean, it's not a secret. But do all Muslims do that? I mean, you know, like uh, I saw in an interview with, uh, I think it's Aslan, uh, I think that's his name, the guy who wrote the book, The Zealot, uh, who I disagree with tremendously uh, in his book. But he's a Muslim, and uh, there's there's millions, even billions of Muslims out there. And one of the things that he said during the interview, you know, like they they were talking about female mutilation and and uh, rape and all these kinds of things, which is a part of the religion of Muslims, some Muslims. He says, well, that's an African problem. That happens there. It doesn't happen over here where there are millions and millions of Muslims. They don't do that. That's a cultural problem. And he's right. And uh, and even in Africa, all Muslims don't do that. But uh, in Saudi Arabia, I mean, they're extremely oppressive of the women. And you could try to say, well, okay, the difference is Sunni and Shiite. But that doesn't bear out when you go from country to country. Uh, it, it, it is in an area of dominance. Uh, people of who label themselves a particular religion have a problem with oppression of women. Or, you know, invading other countries or cutting people's heads off and all these sorts of things. And to use this blanket label is, is going to create injustice in the minds of people. Most Muslim countries are Muslim countries because of the original policy of Muhammad of spreading the Muslim faith, faith by force. You know, I mean, killing your opposition. Forcing everybody in the community to become a Muslim or pay a tax. And so lots of people became Muslim 
because they couldn't afford the tax. It was starving them. And because you, you were less likely to get beat up on the street. So whole nations, and then of course then it passes down from generation to generation that that's a Muslim nation. But this is, this is what he said that I thought was so interesting. He says, fortunately, most Muslims are very bad Muslims. And therefore very good people. <laughs> because they don't actually do, they're not actually spreading the Muslim faith by force. Now, that, that, that's, that's hard to get your mind around. You know, this guy is a Muslim. And you start asking yourself, so why are you a Muslim? <laughs> if you believe, if you know that Muhammad, you know, advocated rape, uh, multiple wives, slavery, uh, spreading the faith by force. Uh, I mean, he said a lot of good things, too, because he, you had to in order to get any kind of popularity. You couldn't be totally uh, degenerate in every aspect. You know, like he actually said that you weren't to 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 kill Christians and, and monks and monasteries. You know, because that, otherwise it would just been an absolute... Because the monks and monasteries back then actually provided a service to the community. And they, they were important of stabilizing social welfare of the community. And... And he didn't want to annihilate all that because then the problems would all fall upon him. So he let them live as long as they provided that service. And then it gave him a semblance of being, you know, merciful. Uh, but they they could not question his authority or the authority of those who came after him. And of course, you know, that was one of the things, the whole idea of the Sunni and the Shiites um this had to do with who takes power next. Because you, they had created this huge office of power. And so men who seek power seek office. And they couldn't decide on who should be in. Should it be the, you know, one of the sons of Muhammad? Or should it be one of the generals? or who? And so there was fighting over that. And they, it went back and forth for a long time. Uh, which when they're fighting each other, it gave everybody else a rest. But actually it saved Europe. Europe was on the verge of being... Uh, totally annihilated and then they began to fight amongst themselves as to you know uh, who should be in charge same thing with Genghis Khan Genghis Khan was on the verge of annihilating Europe and destroying the entire culture so that it would exist no more and he died and so therefore they 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 had to go away for 20 years to figure out who was going to be in charge and and they had a lot of trouble doing that but right now what there's an invasion of Europe and uh they're telling you on the news i mean they admit it wholeheartedly they admit it right in in, in the 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 equivalent to the congress in uh, germany that in uh, 20 years germany will not exist the Germany you know with Germans in it ruling the nation will not exist. They will be gone. And this, they're te the people telling you this are actually inviting the Muslims in. Now, are Muslims bad? No, there are lots of refugees that would be good, decent people. 
And, uh, you know, people are saying, well, there is no evidence that, uh, you know, that there's a, a fifth column coming with this, you know, and everything. And their bleeding hearts uh, uh, want to think that. And, you know, and I have a great deal of compassion for the people that are being absolutely brutalized in those nations. Uh, and I think we should bring them in. But how do you, how do you know? Though they talk about vetting them, finding out who is who. The problem is, is that the ones who are vetting them, I wouldn't trust to make those decisions. It's a it's a vast bureaucracy. The you know the INS and the uh, ICE, uh, which is you know the immigration people that are in charge of this. They are. I've been in those offices. Those people are a mess. I mean, it's hard to find a good-spirited person in there. I mean, they, I'm sure they're in there. But uh, we didn't come across very many of them. Uh, it's, it has the spirit of a bureaucracy. You know, and I've quoted in the last week in uh, posts uh, and articles that I, I've put up, uh, I've quoted uh, a Supreme Court justice. William O. Douglas, who who talks about uh, the new George the uh, Third, and the, what what he's talking about is uh, the vast bureaucracy. He calls it the vast bureaucracy that doesn't change no matter who you elect. And and there's an actual because of the structure of your government. That that's operating now, that's doing the job of government. It's actually going to draw a certain kind of person into offices of power and control and 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 supposedly of service, but will actually be uh, reeking with the spirit of the beast, of control, heartless, destructive. Uh, totalitarian. Those are the people that are going to work their way up. Unfortunately, also, there will be people that are just totally lazy and they're not going to be very good at their jobs. But lurking in the wings are this this um, fascist uh, spirit. You know, what we call... You know, I always had this trouble. I couldn't figure out what is the difference between fascism and communism. Because the they were killing each other. They were fighting each other. But in communism, where it eventually went, it was doing the exact same thing as fascism. You know, I mean, I've, I've referred to the guy in Dr. Zhivago. I should probably force myself to watch that movie again so I could find out what the name of the character is. But the little mousy guy with the glass, round glasses who was advocating communism... He was all for saving the worker and saving, you know, these guys were, you know, the Cossacks are coming in and beating and killing people and and he wanted to stop that, and but he became that. And he became that because he turned his back on a little tiny, you know, one-line element of morality. Of a guide to morality. He just turned his back on that and could not see it. He had blinders. He could not see it. When I look out into the world today, everybody has that blinder on. Conservatives, liberals, 
libertarians, constitutionalists. Amongst all those people, they all have that same blinder, that little, you know, round-eyed guy who became this murdering, evil force in the Soviet Union that helped bring about communism and the oppression of an entire nation and a a holocaust that exceeded anything that the Germans had done. A very close person to me went over there to train people after the perestroika first began to uh, take over and they were trying to get people back into private businesses and they couldn't do it. He said it was just impossible. He says they're genetically dead. What he meant was that everybody who had the courage to do something on their own, to take on responsibility, to get a job done, you know, this this American go-getter, uh, get-the-job-done kind of personality was gone from the population. Now, he came back here to America, and now he sees that it's around in America, but it's almost gone. It's being destroyed. You know, the the whole thing that we see, you know, we've done a lot of articles recently on the, uh, the Bundy occupation of the uh, refuge out there uh, in Oregon. Of course, I'm in Oregon. I actually, I know people that you've been seeing on the news in that, I've known them for years, know their kids. They've been in the house. They've worked for me. The sheriff one and uh, so I, I know and I, I've worked with ranchers I've worked with the uh, BLM I've worked with uh, the Forest Service I've uh, I've I've I actually uh, worked for the Forest Service even I fought fires uh, those that were started by arsons and those that were started by the Forest Service <laughs> uh, for years so I'm very familiar with on-the-ground understanding of the issues. I, I'm probably one of the few people that ever read the Taylor Grazing Act and some of these other, you know, the Swamp Reduction Act. I mean, most people don't even know what's going on over there. I've read the Constitution. I understand what, you know, Bundy's argument is about the Constitution. And, uh, and he has a very good case about the federal government not having any right, according to the Constitution, to come in and own and control land in the states. The Constitution doesn't give them the power to do that back then in 1792 or 98 or 1860 or whenever. Except that's not what's really going on. These agencies are not actually working off of those clauses of the Constitution. You know, people are always talking about getting back to common law. They don't understand natural law or, the, you know, jus naturale or jus gentium. They don't understand these things. And so, but what I do understand is they see an injustice and they want to do something about it. They say, that's not right, what's going on there. And I, I gave some examples, and, and, you know, we have an article up on the Hammonds, and you'll read some stuff there that you won't read other places, or at least not all put together in other places, uh, the way we've put it together there. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got 
You know, we gave a couple of examples, like Terry Lynn Barton, who was a Forest Service employee who actually went and started a fire during a high fire uh, danger period. And her job was to make sure that nobody started a fire in any of the campgrounds. She was actually driving around in a $50,000 rig and getting paid a salary to go around and make sure nobody started any fires in any of the camp areas because it was such a high fire danger period because of the weather conditions. And she went and she started a fire. Burned, blackened, just totally destroyed 138,000 acres. 138,000 acres. Destroyed over 133 homes, private homes. A lot of this land was private too. Over 8,000 people had to be evacuated because of what she did. She served six years in jail. The Bundys together for supposedly burning about 130 acres are going to serve 10 years in jail. You know, this, this woman, you know, devastated Colorado. Millions upon millions upon millions of dollars worth of damage. Because she just, she did the absolute opposite of what she was already being paid to do. And she she's done six years in jail. Personally, I wouldn't have sent her to jail. But that's that's your theory of justice. Send somebody to jail costs the taxpayers another twenty five to thirty thousand dollars a year <laughs> and and put somebody behind bars uh that probably will not ever light a match again <laughs> because she was devastated by what she did. But she got six years she served in jail. She's supposed to pay some of this money back, supposedly, of course she never will. But let me give you another case. April 2013, the U.S. Forest Service intentionally set a fire. They actually went out with the intention of setting a fire. Now, the recommendations of all the local ranchers was that they don't start this fire because the weather conditions were terrible. This was April, and it was in the Dakotas. The weather people were saying, don't start the fire because it was extremely dangerous to do so. You would likely lose control of the fire. This is the the Lemon Fire in South Dakota. They started the fire anyway. You know, because, you know, they're the government. They can do what they want. Got out of control. Burned 11,000 acres. Some of it public ground, some of it private ground. Did over $2.5 million worth of damage. People came to them and said, you know, you've done this damage. Did they get a fine for doing it? No, because they're the guys who decide who gets the fine. So they didn't get fined. Did they pay anybody for all the fences and the buildings that they burned up? No. They, they don't, they say they don't have any responsibility. They don't, they don't have to pay anybody for the damage they've done. Intentionally done. 
against the advice of the people who you can see on our website. We got videos of them actually lighting fires while ranchers are running around trying to create fire breaks to prevent them from lighting fires. You know, and, and they're burning up cattle alive, burning them up alive. And the, the cattle, because the cattle are out on the graze and they're setting fires all around them. They burn up ranches. They burn up fences. You know, burning up fences, you say, oh, they burned up a fence. We're talking about fences that are covering tens of thousands of square miles. We're talking about, you know, what could be easily half a million or a million dollars worth of fences, depending on how big they get their fires. I've been on these fires. They've acted irresponsibly. You know, most of the fires, many, I shouldn't say most, but many of the fires that we had in this area. I mean, we had a fire come through here, and the Forest Service didn't put it out. They they could have put it out, but they used up all their overtime, so they couldn't send anybody out. They knew where the fire was, and they let it get out of control, and it burned up you know, thousands of acres. And the ranchers were telling them, he says, this fire is going to burn downhill this afternoon. You've got to put it. And they said, oh, no, fires don't burn downhill. Every day this happened. And every day they would burn downhill. And finally at the end, when people were having a meeting explaining how terrible they had behaved, how terrible the Forest Service was, because the Forest Service was keeping people from putting the fire out. There were finally, in some cases, there were... There were ranchers who jumped on their own cat and just drove it up the hill and put the fire out. That's what stopped it in many areas. Most of the fire breaks that stopped it and saved homes was created by the people. It wasn't created by the Forest Service. Matter of fact, the Forest Service was ordering the people, threatening them with arrest if they didn't get out of the area. And they said, we're not leaving because our neighbor's house is in danger. Meanwhile, the Forest Service is sitting down on the road Dozens and dozens of firefighters in their yellow jackets and their green pants. And they're sitting there drinking coffee. Now, I know there are good, hard-working firefighters. But it is, it is the top is overburdened with irresponsible uh, bureaucrats who don't understand how to get the job done. They're bureaucrats. They're not in the business of getting the job done. See, in, in private business, if you don't get the job done, you starve. You go out of business. But in the government, that's not a problem. And it's because of the nature and structure of the institution. And we've given it tremendous power. Now, we're going to take this another direction, this conversation another direction, because I haven't told you yet what it is that we miss that that, that that little guy in Dr. Zhivago was not seen that caused the destruction of millions upon millions upon millions of people. We're going to get there next, so be right back.
The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind, and the Lord raiseth them up that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. This is Psalms 146.8. God's love opens your eyes. It takes the scales off your eyes. But in order to receive God's love, you must be willing to see. But if you think you see already, then Christ talks about you will be made blind. This is part of the teachings that Christ gave us. Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. Well, he's talking about those who think they already know. And so what we're doing in these series is trying to show you what Christ was trying to help people see. And Peter would say the same thing, that through covetousness, that you would be made merchandise. You would curse your children. You, you would go back and become entangled in the elements of the world. That is the cause. When we talk about contracts in the world and of the world, we're simply talking about systems and agreements where you can actually see the evidence of the fact that you're already in agreement with ideas like one purse, like eating at the table of kings, uh, benefactors who exercise authority. And they're not really benefactors. They only give you what they take away from others. These are the fathers of the earth. These are the terminologies. And we show you the history. We show you how this applied back then. We show you how it applied throughout the ages. We show you how it applied in our t- times today. But it is absolutely essential that you change what you are in agreement with. That's repentance. You're in agreement with the idea that it's okay to covet. It's okay to desire what belongs to your neighbor for your personal benefit. And it's okay not to forgive. Christ's love will open your eyes. But it also will be like hot coals upon the head of those who do not want to see. They will hate it. If Christ is in you, if you're coming in the name of Christ, you need to be coming with a desire to serve to forgive, to be a righteous individual. That is your desire. And you need to act. Not just say, Lord, Lord, but actually become a doer of that word. And then His love can bless you. His grace. If you only love those who love you, if you only love those who help you, care about you, that are close to you, what grace have you? This is what it says. I want you to keep that in mind. Do not get carried away with contracts and jurisdictions and laws, etc. Keep in mind that this is about coming into agreement with Christ. And join the network. Find other people seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That daily ministration based on faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. A government that does not exercise authority but exercises love and charity and hope and until then peace on your house and may God be with you Welcome back. 
the keys of the kingdom. Uh, so what is that little that little blinder spot, that little thing that we cannot see, that uh, the the little guy in Dr. Zhivago didn't see and millions do not see around the world? And, and what do we use as a standard by which to determine what that uh, that thing is that uh, that we are not seeing? And, and it's a moral issue. It has to do with morality, whatever morality is. And, you know, we you can go back to the Ten Commandments, and the fact is uh, the Muslims go back to the Ten Commandments. They think that Moses was a prophet of God. Abraham was a prophet of God. And Abraham had a form of the Ten Commandments. It was reduced down a little bit. But uh, even even the... Was it Maat? Uh, the 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 laws of Egypt included what we see as the Ten Commandments in their whatever it was. I think at one time it was about sixty-seven laws, and it's it's been around as a moral level bubble, plumb bob measure for centuries in religions all over the world, but they all almost all, are missing it today. They're not seeing it. They just they just kind of pass over it. Although it's very clear, very concise, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's really irrefutable when you look at it. I mean, you cannot argue against it unless you're insane. And, of course, everybody is insane. <laughs> everybody does not see it. Their mind is operating in a different way. It, it's a strong delusion. It is the lie that everybody has come to believe. They they think they believe in Jesus. You know, this this whole idea of believing in Jesus or believing in Moses. What it is, is that they are creating an image of Jesus in their mind. Or an image of Moses. Or an image of Muhammad. Or an image of, you know, somebody they think is a prophet of God. Or God himself. They created an image of God. In their minds. They may not actually make it out of wood or, or stone. But they, they create it in their minds. And they worship that image. In their minds. Now that whole commandment of. You know. Not creating any graven image. Is not creating anything with your hands. You don't create anything with your hands that you worship. Anything with your hands that you worship. Whether you do it out of stone or, or metal or, or, or wood. Well, you see, when people wrote the Constitution or people hold up the Constitution, that's created on wood. We call it paper, but it's it's wood. It's flexible wood, but it's it's wood. And we have this constitution written on it by the hand of man, although a lot of times we have it printed on. But a man made the printer. We are creating this institution. We are creating the institution of the United States federal government. We're creating the institution of the parliament. Our parents did. Our grandparents did. And then we worship that institution. We, we even talk about it being the supreme law of the land. 
and we have an image in our mind of what we think it means. And there's some good ideas in there. And there were some good men behind the creation of it. But good men can do bad things. But the fact is, you deserve the Constitution. You should have the Constitution. You need the Constitution. Because you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you had the Holy Spirit, you'd, you'd look at the Constitution and say, well, we don't need that. And that's what most Americans thought back there in 1792. Most Americans were not for the Constitution. They didn't want to create it. They didn't vote for it. They would have voted against it had it been put up to a vote because they they thought it was a bad thing. But other people thought it was a good thing and they thought they needed it. And they thought they needed it because they did not have the Holy Spirit. Even George Washington thought it was a mistake later on. Regretted that they had done it. But he didn't know what else to do. He thought he needed it. You know, and he, was, he, he thought government, the kind of government they were creating, which was already becoming a bureaucracy, tiny little bureaucracy, but it was a bureaucracy, was important. And it is the course that the soul of America took. And then it took them farther down that road. And farther down that road. So, still we haven't touched upon what it is exactly that is is the lie today. Everywhere. The strong delusion that people believe that just ain't so. And it's it's not up there at the beginning of the commandments. Where you see, you know, thou sh- shall not have any other gods before you. You know, like... Uh, I happened to see the the interview of uh, uh, Kelly, the newspaper reporter of Bundy, and uh, somebody was talking about it, so I I went and looked it up and listened to it. it was very short, and uh, and and she didn't understand what she was asking him about and talking to him about. And he wasn't very articulate in explaining it, but he did point out the fact that uh, the people who are bringing the the plaintiff in the case is the federal government. The judge is from the federal government. Uh, everything is on the side of the federal government. Now, you could say, well, the jury of their peers, but the jury of their peers was not allowed to see all the information because the judge didn't allow all the information to come. The judge knew, very clearly knew that it would be unjust to send these people to jail for five years apiece. And he said so. And so he sentenced them to a small amount of time in jail. The truth is, they shouldn't have been sent to jail at all for the charges brought against them. They they beat those charges. Because they're... they're, uh, the accusations and the requirements in order to impose those charges do not match the event. They absolutely do not match the event. But there was, and I've seen this in courts many times, the fix was in from the beginning. The word come down from the top that these people needed to go to jail. And, and the $400,000 fine that was put on top of them 
for what the judge says was less than $100 worth of damage, the expert said that there was no damage, zero, zero damage done to BLM property. They actually said that the land was improved by the fires. With the first fire, that was its intention. is to burn up weed invasive species on their own land. Actually, a little bit of it went over onto the BLM ground. And one of the fires, only an acre of BLM ground was even burned. And in all cases, it improved the BLM ground. The BLM did not come to put out the fire. They were not... Uh, they weren't injured in any way. There was no expense or cost to the BLM. Zero. And when it was all done, the ground was better than it was before the fire. And in the second fire's case, they actually protected uh, BLM ground that would have burned if they hadn't started the backfire. These people were heroes. There was nothing to charge them with. Except supposedly... They, the, the family said they had been told that they had permission to burn. The BLM denied it. Absolutely, the case should have been thrown out immediately. No fine should have been allowed to be put upon them at all. Because there was no evidence that they broke any rules. Because they, they had a verbal agreement and the BLM said no, they didn't. So it's their word against their word. So there's no evidence that they did anything that harmed at all. And the judge should have clearly been able to see that. But he couldn't. Or he wouldn't. I don't know. I mean, he had 40 years experience. He should have known. But he sent them to jail based on a crime that requires a five-year sentence that they beat. They beat the charges. The evidence beat the charges. But he he ramrodded them. I mean, the, the jury didn't know that these people were going to go to jail for five years. The jury should have demanded the instructions to know what is the sentencing here. But anyway, injustice took place. Terrible injustice. There's a, a huge one-sidedness here. The, the bureaucracy... Is just and this is not the only family they've done this to. You know the ranches that were burned. You know when you, when they burn up thousands of acres of feed. That's not it's not just the cost of the feed. Those animals have to eat even though that there's no feed there. The wildlife. You know I've seen you know the fire that got out of control because the Forest Service all went home. And, you know, we blame, I, I told them in, in the large meeting, I blame ourselves because we, we talk about this being our forest and we left it to their charge. We could have got, we had ranchers on the scene that were trying to put out the fire, but we were poorly organized you know, at the beginning. At the very beginning, it was a lightning strike. And an old guy and his son were out there trying to fight the fire and it was way down in a very inaccessible part and they were having trouble getting there. If we had gotten together and gone there, we could have put that out to begin with. But we thought... That, but the the truth is, is the Forest Service actually threatens you if you show up to try to put out the fire. They they say you can't do it because we're in charge. Used to be, used to be, 
Forest Service would call all the ranchers up and they would go there. And we used to put out these fires. Uh, you know, that's old timers will tell you. We used to put out these same fires years ago with half the equipment, with a fraction of the equipment. They're not able to do it now without the loss of life. Because there's a certain common sense amongst ranchers and farmers because they actually deal with real problems and solve them daily. They have to. They, they have to get the job done. Nature requires it. In the nature of the bureaucracy, it's not required that you actually produce something, solve a problem, make it work. It's not required. It's required that you fill out this paper and that paper and this paper. It's a different spirit that's operating because it's not natural. It's a bureaucracy. It's a created institution. And it's created with a certain spirit. One of those spirits is that I don't want to be bothered. I will give them the job to do it. You see, that's that's key. And we're not we're not to the the, the strong delusion yet, but that's a very key thing. People don't, you know, when there was corruption in the courts at the time of Samuel, and people were taking bribes and causing people to lose their livelihood or their property or their, maybe even their lives because they, people were taking bribes. People were influenced. It was injustice in the courts at the time of Samuel. And the people said, give us a king because the king will go and fix this corruption from the top down. Of course, you're going to have to give some power to the king. And the king is going to have this little string whip that he can go around and fire people. You're fired, you're fired, you're fired because I see corruption here. I see abuse of the institutions of man. That's why they elect a king. That's why David was elected. David could fire the porters of the temple, the what we call money changers at the time of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus Christ was doing. He was firing them. He was t- made a string whip and going around. You can see kings, pharaohs had this string whip on one hand and a scepter in the other hand. You're fired, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired. That's what he was doing. He wasn't tipping over tables and making change roll across the ground. Makes for good video, movies, but that's not what he was doing. He was firing the money changers, the tax collectors. And they had made, because this was, this was uh, the month of Adar. This was tax day. And these are the money changers. You had to pay the tax with a certain kind of money. And so it cost you more to buy that money to pay the tax. And so that's what was really happening there. They, they were going to collect over you know, what would have been millions of dollars. And the, uh, in the way that taxes worked there then is they would get a clip. They would get a portion of it would go and they would make millions of dollars. And Jesus stopped that. And they had to stop Jesus. Follow the money. That's why he was crucified. So anyway, that's... The people said, we don't want to resolve this issue of corruption in the courts from the ground up, which is the way that God wanted us to do it. To take the responsibility to go there. And you could do this. You know, I gave the example. Humboldt County, they were being abusive. People showed up at a meeting... 
they couldn't, they filled the room, they filled the hallways. There were people standing outside because they couldn't even get into the hallways of the court. That's how abusive it got before people actually came down and did something. And they shut that part of the government down. And they, they, you know, which was the uh, uh, building department. The, the abusive part of it, you know, where they take out guns and point them in your face because you, they say you didn't get a proper build, building permit. And there was a lot worse stuff going on. And it's a very corrupt county. But it stopped. And of course, it's, it's getting back that way again. <laughs> it's going to continue because the people, people are apathetic. They're not, they're not really taking the response. They don't really care. A lot of those people showed up because they had offended so many people. They didn't show up because they loved their neighbor as themselves. But when they showed up, things changed. If people were to gather together like Christians gathered together, real Christians, not the Christians today, real Christians, the Hammonds would be pardoned and released. And it should be. You know, they're not saints. I'm sure they do things wrong. But what they did, what they're in jail for, what they got $400,000 fine for, they should have been given a, a you know a banquet a reward because they they improved the ground and they stopped a fire someone who evidently is a vegetarian says that they're not going to help the Hammonds because they're in this evil business of ranching they probably think they're an environmentalist the, the the ranchers, you, you can come here and you can look. The wildlife is on the ranches. The, the local uh, Fish and Wildlife is going to buy a big chunk of ground that a guy came and he developed for wildlife. He, and he, he punched down wells, gets uh, made these huge ponds and everything, and now they're going to sell that to the Fish and Wildlife. The wildlife is over on the ranches that surround this property. And they got some water and they will land on that water and everything. And they will do some nesting in there. But they don't eat there. The, the real feeding is done somewhere else. There are less ducks and geese in this area now than there were before the Fish and Wildlife took over. Far less. Fraction of what there, there used to be. Now, actually, to give them some credit, the people who are in charge of the Fish and Wildlife right now, who I've known for 30 years, uh, recognizes that cattle are good for wildlife. They're very important to it. Because you've seen them say that in a meeting. Some environmentalists came in and said, oh, cattle destroyed the land and all this stuff. He says, no. They're essential for the balance needed to make a good wildlife habitat. He knows that. Unfortunately, he's about to retire. Somebody else is coming, going to come in and it's going to get worse again. Because the beast lives on. The power structure lives on. This thing that we, this institution we've created lives on. And, and he and many others have this blind spot that they don't see that they're feeding the beast nature in society. They're drawing the 
the Hitlers and Mao Zedongs into positions in power where they're going to be corrupted by that power. Solomon was corrupted by the power that he was given. Broke every rule in the book. Power corrupts. And these institutions give power where it shouldn't be. When they created the the United States government, they tried to create what they call the balance of power doctrine. They gave some power to Congress and some power to the executive office, the presidency, and some power to the judiciary. And they were supposed to balance each other out. Now, when we talk about some power, where was the rest of the power? They didn't give them all the power. The rest of the power was in the people. They knew they were concentrating power. They knew they needed to divide it up a little bit. So they created these three branches of government so that the power that they gave to government was divided to keep each section of government within check. But Samuel tells you that if you do this, the power is going to be centralized. And they're going to take and take and take and take and take and take. He warns you. And they still wanted it. In a free country, all the power, all the power is in the hands of the people. Not democratically, but individually. That's what a pure republic is. Power is in the hands of the people. And the leaders are titular. That you go, you know, see, we don't even use that word anymore. Most, most people don't know what that means. The leaders in a republic, the leaders are titular. They don't have any power. Their, their position as a leader is in name only. They want to go and invade a country. They have to do it with an all-volunteer army. All the money they get to support that army has to be given voluntarily. You know, like when they built the Golden Gate Bridge. That wasn't a government project. That was done with voluntary funds. Now, they actually used some government, not funds, but they used some government powers in order to do this, but it was the power to enforce contract. Because people pledged their homes and borrowed money against their homes to get the money to build the uh, Golden Gate Bridge. And then they were supposed to bring that the bridge would bring funds back and eventually pay for the bridge. And the people would get their money back, supposedly. But unfortunately, they're using a money that is not according to the biblical morality. So that's another problem. But what is that key thing, that key to lie that we have come to accept as true, that's okay, that's moral, that is not moral, that's bringing this whole nation and the whole world down? I mean, you can see layers and layers and layers of it. I mean, the fact that GMOs are banned in country after country after country, but they're promoted in this country. And it's bad enough that the GMOs are causing tremendous health problems all across the nation, very clearly. Health problems in animals, health problems in people. And they still are, are producing it. 
the evidence is just getting to be overwhelming. But you got a million dollars, billion dollars in advertising to try to make people think that, oh, we need GMOs. GMOs are important. And people believe that lie. But why do they believe that lie? It's because they've already believed another lie that, that puts scales on their eyes so they cannot see the problem. They think they see, but they cannot see the problem. So how do you get down to the... I mean, you see this layers and layers and layers, and we want to get down to the very source of the problem. Because when we get to the source of the problem and we fix that, we fix everything. Everything begins to become fixed because it's all built on this basic bottom layer lie. And, And it's easy to solve. Well, it's, I should say easy. It's a very practical plan. But it's going to be painful. But if you don't solve it, it's going to be way more painful. We'll be back in a minute. Stay tuned. Because this is how to defeat the enemy. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the enemy, and the enemy is us. We're the problem. We have to realize that we're the problem. It's not the Illuminati. It's not FDR. It's not the progressive socialists. It's not 
aliens or whatever. I mean, everybody always thinks that something else has caused the problem. We have to take the responsibility for our part in the problem. And there is an unbelievable power that can be put into motion once we begin to accept our part in the problem. And and that is, you know, that's something you can do something about. You can do something about you. You cannot change the minds of other people. You cannot force them to see the truth or to do the right thing. As soon as you think you can do that, you've become a totalitarian dictator. You have moved into a realm where you allow the beast power to control you. This this evil power. This son, You've become a son of Cain who tills the Odama, who forces and, and rips and lines up the Adama, the people, to serve his needs, his desires. Now, he may desire good things at first, but because he gets that power, he will be corrupted by it, because then he'll go on to the next level, and the next level, and the next level of corruption. Until he breaks every rule in the book. Until he oppresses his neighbor. And even takes their life. That's what Lamech did. This is what Nimrod did. This is what Saul did. This is what David did. He didn't actually kill the guys who, whose wife he was sleeping with. But he arranged it so that his life was in danger. But all that came about, not simply because he was given power, but because he accepted a lie. That lie is accepted pervasively throughout the world today. And it blocks us. It blocks the, you know, the the Ten Commandments are all about basically things that you're not supposed to do. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. There's ten thou shalt nots there. Because it's saying it, what they are is the actual word for commandments really means more like the word guidelines does. What is, it's it, there are signposts along the path, the way. They're saying if you're going this way, you're off the path. If you're going that way, you're off the path. If you cross this boundary, you're off the path. But what? What pulls you off the path is your habit of thinking. And your habit of thinking is about what you have accepted as okay. You've done something that has now become a habit that's not okay. You've become addicted to sin. Sin is missing the mark, going off the path. You're addicted to going off the path. That's why you divorce. That's why you steal. That's why you, you know, lose your temper. You have a bad temper. Why? Why do you keep losing your temper? Why do you get angry? You feel it coming up, and you want to stop it. But you can't hardly stop it. 
you you try to use soft voices so that it doesn't sound like you're really angry, but you're angry. You're stuck in the rut of anger. And it's dragging you to do things that you will later regret. You'll probably come up with excuses why it was okay to do those things. But you're stuck. Your your brain is taking you away. Why? For one thing, you're living in your tree of knowledge. That's where you go and you eat every day. In the tree of knowledge. That's what you use that tree of knowledge to justify the things that you did wrong yesterday. Or you intend to do wrong today. So you're you're comfortable in that tree of knowledge. You got a little hammock even tied in the tree of knowledge, and you you always put your head over on that end of the tree, and that's where you live, up in your head. That's where you create the gods that you worship in your head. You before before you carve them in stone or paper or wood or whatever, you create these gods in your head, and you and you bow down and worship them. But how did we get on that road where we're doing this, where we're creating institutions that are going to kill us, betray us, and take and take and take and take and take from us and our neighbors? How did we get to the point where we're doing that and we see no other alternative? We have to have these institutions or we will die, we think. It's because we've accepted a lie and we're blinded. We can't see the alternative. And we can't see the alternative because we don't repent. We don't change our thinking. That's what repenting is. We don't change our thinking. We stay in the tree of knowledge. Inventing new, issue, uh, new institutions. Oh, we're going to do things this way because this will fix things. But it won't. It'll make them worse. What Christ came talking about is he came talking about an alternative, another way. They called it the way. Another way of thinking. Where the lie is gone, where the truth is there. No more lie. The whole truth. And now the Christians could provide for it. But most people who think they've repented, they have not yet confessed to the lie. They they are still accepting the lie. They they've they very you know, and the intellectuals are the hardest ones to see this. That's why there were very few people in the Sanhedrin who could see it. And they had trouble seeing it. I had to come at night and talk to Christ. Lots of soul searching. Peter had trouble seeing it. Betrayed Christ. Christ knew he was going to betray him. Because he couldn't see it. And I haven't even told you what it is yet. The truth. The, the, the base bottom lie that you have accepted as true live by and it's simply not true and so you you go through life and you build chunks of a, a thought patterns of thought where you where you actually don't think these are your habits your addictions 
you know, if you're a contentious spirit, you will you will be contentious again. You will be contentious with your family. You will be contentious with others. You will you will paint over it with all kinds of nice words and everything, but you will be a contentious spirit. Because you don't want to see the truth. You want to believe a lie. You, you will see this truth, and you will see that truth, and you will see that truth, but you will not see the foundational truth that has brought you into captivity. That, that makes you vulnerable to the beast nature of the world. Because deep down, you're a beast. I told... Uh, ministers, I wrote it out and sent it off. I think I sent it off today. Yeah, that uh, that if you're finding yourself being contentious, angry, impatient with somebody, it's usually because they have the same spirit, and their spirit can push your button. Their their push their contentiousness is pushing your contentious button. And you're becoming contentious. And you, you feel it. You see yourself becoming impatient and angry. And uh, and you don't like that. But that is your opportunity to see. Because in seeing that and accepting it. And accepting your responsibility in that anger. I'm not saying well, they made me angry. That's what we always say. So and so made me so angry. No, you were angry. He just pushed your button. You built the button when you believed the lie. When you walked away from the tree of life, the button formed in your mind. The groove of sin formed. The habit of sin formed in your mind. And now all somebody has to do is give you a little nudge and there's your mind off into this contentious spirit. You know, you're going to be angry until it runs out. I was uh, I was looking at a very interesting case where somebody had uh, encephalitis and they did damage to their brain, you know, before they were finally uh, healed of the encephalitis. And when they came out, they they recovered, except for they couldn't remember anything new. You they they you couldn't teach them everything they knew. They knew from before. They got this encephalitis. Now that they would they would repeat the same thing over and over again, they could watch the same program over and over again. It would always be interesting because 20 seconds after they learned something, they forgot it because they had this damage in their brain. And it was very interesting to see how they functioned and so that we begin to understand how the brain worked, how, you know, because this is the, the brain is our tree of knowledge. So you need to find out how it works. The fact is that if you could get over to the tree of life, which very little of us, very little of our our thinking comes from the tree of life. It almost always is coming from the tree of knowledge. But in each of us, we have a little bit of access to the tree of life. A little bit trickles through the branches of the tree of knowledge and occasionally react to that. But unfortunately, because we live in this tree of knowledge, we re- begin to take the little bit of truth that we have accepted and reconstruct it in the image that we want. And that image is based on our failed nature. So we will create the same problems again. We have to go back and see what's at the very bottom of our hearts, minds, and soul. We have to see that 
and contend with it. You have to clean your temple. Or you will be worse than you were before. And, and we have ministers, we have people in our network that are not getting down to cleaning that temple. And one of the ways you clean that temple is with a group. This is why AA works. Is they get together with a group. And that group, who have often the same problems, they meet regularly, weekly, sometimes daily. And they chit-chat. And they talk. And they interact. They don't have to talk about real deep stuff. Usually one might get up and, and do a little confessing. Hi, I'm Steve. I'm an alcoholic. I'm addicted. I got a problem. I fell from the tree of life and I ate of the tree of knowledge. And I'm addicted to the tree of knowledge. I keep going back to my knowledge instead of to the tree of life. I'm a, I'm a tree of knowledge addict. <laughs> that's, that's what you need to do. But everybody is helped in the room. And you know, most of the help comes when Steve's done. And they chit-chat. And they talk. And they deal with each other. And they're there. They show up for each other. And this gives them strength. Why do you think Jesus sent guys out two by two? Why do you think he created this religious order of twelve apostles? Because they were going to need each other. Because they weren't always going to eat of the tree of life. They were going to need one another, to rebuke one another, to be there for one another, to give strength to one another. But they can only do that if they show up. They can't they stop going to the meetings, they get back on the the they start binging again. And for the intellectual, he binges on his intellect. He begins to construct new gods, new institutions that he is going to worship. He is going to follow. And they feel so good. But he's addicted to sin. The sin of the tree of knowledge. Eating of the tree of knowledge. He abandons his brothers. Doesn't, doesn't show up for them anymore. I don't need to go to the meetings. I can go. I've got this figured out. I can see. The Holy Spirit is guiding me. I don't need to show up with anybody else. I can be on my own. I've got, I've got some support from guys who do the same thing as me. Drink. You know, the alcoholic, he gets his support from other alcoholics who drink the same brand of scotch. <laughs> you see the pattern? So what is the very bottom? If we scrape down to the bottom of our souls, what is it in us, the lie that we have all accepted, that is pervasive from Syria to Canada, from Canada to Terra del Fugo, from Australia to China? What is the lie that we have all accepted? And how do we undo that lie? How do we... That this stuff is... Um, if you get down to the bottom and you're scraping this gunk off the bottom of your soul, 
that keeps contaminating. You know, it's like, you know, you got a hot tub uh, made out of wood. And somebody gets a staph infection in it. And so, therefore, you, you drain it out and you scrub it down. And then you uh, fill it up with water again. If you don't get it all out, anybody gets in there is going to get that staph infection again. It's going to be there if you're just using water. I mean, you can chlorinate it and all that kind of stuff. And then you, you might get rid of it. But I'm talking about just you know, an old wooden hot tub. There's I, I've seen guys actually... And the reason that flashes on that is I'm actually taking apart a six-foot water trough that's made out of wood. And I thought, well, we'll set it up and we'll make a wood stove and put a hot tub in there like the old, you know, kind of an interesting little uh, white elephant in the living room. We won't put it in the living room. It'll be out by the corrals. But uh, I don't even know if I can get it apart. But the point is, is that in cleaning out your soul, you got to get it all out. You can't leave a contaminant in there. Because it will ruin everything when you put, fill it back up again. And a lot of people think that, oh, I've changed the direction I'm going. I'm, I'm following God now and this feels good. And they're actually getting drunk again in the tree of knowledge. And you can see this. I mean, they... They think they're walking a straight line. You know, that's what you do. You paint a white line. And you say, okay, I'm going to check and see if you're drunk or not. Follow this white line. You know, put one foot in front of the other and, and walk this white line. And he says, ah, I can do that. And he staggers. And he's staggering all over. You know he's drunk. He thinks, oh, I did that pretty good, didn't I? No, you were all over the place. You're drunk. But he thought he did it straight. And so, so what we're going to talk about a little bit is metaphor. I'm not, I'm not, not revealing the secret yet. I don't know if I'll do it before the end of this program. We're going to talk about metaphor because, just like the commandments, and and, and patterns that we see Christ, you know, like uh, Matthew 18. Like if you got a beef with somebody, if you think somebody's doing wrong, are you rebuking those that you love? Because if you're not rebuking them. If you think they're doing wrong and you're not rebuking them, you don't really love them. As many as I love, I also rebuke. There's a pattern. Are you following that pattern? No, I I love them. I think they're doing wrong, but I'm not going to talk to them about it. You're off the path. You're not following the way. You're drunk on something. Because that's, that's as basic you know, well, I didn't want to disturb them. You know, I didn't want to get into an argument with them. So I let them keep thinking something was right when it was wrong. I went off and got a bunch of supporters to back me. People who like to drink like I drink from the tree of knowledge. And I'm going to go do my own thing. I don't I, I, I don't really care about those people. I, 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 I'm not going to say that out loud. I do. But I'm not going to do what would look like caring about those other people. I could meet with them anytime and show them that I think that they're making a mistake and discuss this out. Iron sharpening iron, you know. But I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to go and then I'm going to drink from the tree of knowledge. Get drunk on my new ideas. Now, there are other symbols. You, know, you, you want to look for other things that might mean that you're getting drunk 
falling back into a pattern of sin. Being this contentious spirit. I mean, now you're not going to... You're not going to yell at anybody. You're going to be very quiet about it, very calm and everything, because that's what, how you paint over your contentious spirit. But you're going to be a contentious spirit. You're going to do something contrary. So, so what are some of the other things? Well, that's where we're going to talk about metaphors. Christ was using metaphors all the time. He's using parables all the time. And he was using these things, and he was asked, why are you using these parables? And he just tell them straight out. He says, because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but not unto them. He's actually keeping it a mystery. He's actually giving them a tool that they can use over in their tree of knowledge. But he wants them to move from the tree of the Holy Spirit, from the tree of life. But what it's a tool that they can use on themselves. That if if I'm missing, if I can't understand the parable, if I misapply the metaphor, then I'm not following the Holy Spirit. It's telling me I've had too much of the tree of knowledge. I've been drink. I'm getting drunk on the tree of knowledge because I'm getting basic metaphors, basic parable, the meanings of basic parables. I'm I'm getting them mixed up. People always say, so what does this mean? When Christ was preaching, he was not preaching like some poets who say the poem could mean anything you want it to mean. That's that's what makes, you know, like people like Bob Dylan popular is because his poetry can mean anything you want it to mean. And so that you think he's profound because you you imagine that what he means is profound. And I'm, I'm not. I don't want to pick on Bob Dylan, you know. I'm sure he had some meaning there himself. But the idea of a poem meaning anything you want it to mean is not what Christ was all about. The parable means what it meant, and it may mean it on several different levels. The 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 metaphor may mean something very specific on several levels, but it means something very specific. That's the way nature is. Nature repeats itself on many, many, many different levels. So anyway, what is it that we're missing? That we're not seeing? And we're going to talk about, and I'm going to be sharing a lot of stuff with the people who continue to follow this series of the enemy. And the enemy is us. And it's gotten into us. And it's formed habits of thought that that make us angry, that make us impatient, that make us lustful, that make us do things over and over again that we really don't want to do, we regret doing, but then we go back and do it. Now, obviously, some of these things, you know, like if you're dealing with, uh, you know, the, the, the murderer Bundy, not, you know, Clive Bundy and Amon Bundy, but, the you know, the famous mass murderer, the serial killer, Bundy. Or, uh, I'm trying to think of some other ones. That name just pops up. But uh, they they commit these terrible crimes. They kill somebody. They mutilate somebody. They eat somebody. And they feel regret. And then they come back and do it again. They keep returning to the crime. The dog returns to his vomit. The pig to his mire. They can't help it. It's built into their process, their mental process. they got to go back. The criminal returns to the scene of the crime. 
because they have a habit of sin. So how do you break that habit? Well, the fact is, eating of the tree of life is not a habit. It's not compulsory. It's a choice. Habits are compulsory. You have to follow the habit. You're addicted to it. But you don't become addicted to truth. You have to come to truth because of love. So, if you understand this process of addiction, like, you know, the Bill, Bill Wilson and his AA, he began to understand the process of addiction enough so that he could counter it with his 12-step plan. It could have been 10 steps. It's actually kind of redundant. But he, he created this plan, and it actually works. People don't know why it works, because all the psychologists says this should not work. But it did work. With lots and lots of people, millions and millions of people at work. How come it works? What is actually going on in their minds? You cannot trick people into the kingdom of God. But what's happening is they're being tricked into not entering into the kingdom. Because they're addicted to their habits of sin. So they need an AA program and process in order to help them become unaddicted to sin long enough to eat of the tree of life. If you want your kids to eat good food, you have to fill the refrigerator with good food. If you fill it with chocolate truffles, or just, you know, you have a whole section for tr- chocolate truffles. Kids are going to be over there eating the chocolate truffles. I, I, I eat granola. And I, I usually buy some granola in town. And then I'll mix other things in with it. Well, there's... The, the stuff I often buy will have some M&M's in it. And I have grandchildren who love to pick out the M&M's. And I'm always telling them, no, you cannot go looking in there. You just reach in and take some thing and you take what you get and now I hear my granddaughter saying the same thing to her brothers but she's only saying it so that they don't pick the M&M's out because she's going to pick them out later (laughs) but the point is is that we need to take a deep look inside of ourselves and we can't do that because we keep getting sidetracked with our addictions And so we're going to need to set up a plan to help people stay unaddicted long enough to see the truth and provide for it. And that's what we're going to talk about next on Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Um, I've, I've talked about this idea that we're addicted to sin. And the addiction is a product of the mind. There is a physical element in some addictions. Uh, but it's most of the physical element in addiction goes back to an addiction 
that is connected to the mind. And you have this brain up here, which is your tree of knowledge. This is what the tree of knowledge really is all about, is your brain. And you were given that. And it's a tool. But it is not the, the guiding light of your actions. It is not the source of your faith. Faith is this probity. This faith in the tree of life. The faith in God. This faith in the Holy Spirit. That this something that is higher than yourself. Outside of yourself. Separate from yourself. But you're connected to inside of yourself. That guides you. You know, so that, now we're talking, I'm using symbols, you know, physical symbols, and I'm talking about spiritual metaphors. Everything in the universe, every physical thing in the universe that you can reach out and touch and see and smell and feel, uh, that is a symbol of something that is actually going on in a spiritual universe. Spirit was here first. And the physical universe is following after that. Now, you, you may not see that. You may not understand that. But that, that's, that's foundational. But again, understanding the truth is not a mental exercise. It's a spiritual exercise. It is a spiritual path that you must follow. And, but we're going to talk about physical things. You know, physical addictions and physical reactions and, 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 and structures that are going to show you that spiritual path. They're going to, but they're going to do it one step removed. Because you're only going to see the spiritual path when you walk in the Spirit. But we're going to make reference to the spiritual path by what you're doing when you're walking in the flesh. How you're walking in the flesh. Like I gave the example. Uh... Are we still connected? Okay, good. Because we just lost all power here and it came back. <laughs> There's things clicking all around me. But anyway, uh, um, the uh, the structure of this uh, uh, spiritual realm is manifested in the physical realm in which we live. Um, and it's, uh, it's a... It's something that we try to understand mentally, but we can only really understand spiritually when we're actually tapped into that spiritual source. So we're going to have guides in our lives that will show us that we're not really following the Holy Spirit. And, you know, because people are telling me all the time that they feel like they should do it this way or they feel like they should do it that way. But the unholy spirits can give you feelings too. You know, the drunk feels like he walked that straight line. But he didn't. He was staggering all over. He thought like, I, I, I just walked straight there. And we're outside of him, we're walking, we're seeing this guy is all over the place. He's slurring his speech. You know, but he's drunk. I can see he's drunk. I can hear he's drunk. He thinks he did that right. He felt he did that right. So we have these little guidelines, but not, now the guidelines that I'm teaching you are mental. So you can fool those. You can fake them. There's no way to teach you. I cannot teach you how to walk in the Spirit. I can show you where you're not walking in the Spirit. But that doesn't do any good if I show you where you're not walking in the Spirit. If 
you don't want to see it. If you want to believe, you're right. I can't help you. The vain man, you know, what, what, the fool and wise counsel. What does it say in Proverbs about that? He will despise you. You know, but the, the person who wants to see the truth, he will love you for your rebuke. I have to rebuke you anyway. I, I am compelled to do it by my faith. Because as many as I love, I also rebuke. If I'm rebuking you, that's love. You know, you know, I could be faking it too, but that's why I'm telling you. That's why I'm telling you the whole world is headed for a cliff of destruction. You know, and we see the evidence of that all around us. And people say, oh, well, it's GMOs. Oh, it's, uh, you know, giving power to government. It's the government. You know, you, there was a survey that went back and they were saying, you know, what, what, asking Americans, what is the major problem? And most Americans were saying at one point, the war. You know, we're in Afghanistan, we're in Iraq, that's the problem. And then the next year was the economy. And that actually lasted for quite a while. The economy, the economy, the economy. That was the major answer that came back from the people. That's the problem. And now, the, uh, the, the last couple of years, the problem is the government. The problem is the government. The power of the government. Overpower of the government. That's the problem. And you know what that tells me? All these answers tell me that they're not going to solve the problem. Because you know what the answer is? The answer is the problem is you. That's that's the problem. It's not the government. It's not the economy. It's not the war. It's not the Illuminati. It's you. You're the problem. Because you don't want to see the truth. And you're going to be drowning because you don't want to see the truth. And what I would like to show you is how to walk on water. How to walk in a world that has gone insane. Rioting, killing, murdering. Walk there. And when you walk there, peace comes. Wherever you go, peace comes. They have no power over you. I mean, you have no idea. Even from book, reading the Book of Martyrs. You have, because of the spirit by which the Book of Martyrs, you know, Fox's Book of Martyrs was written. You have no idea what was really going on. Because, and but people are fascinated by real Christians. Because they saw something going on there. And even with these unbelievable tortures and, and abuses and uh, Christians seem to kind of come to the top, float to the top, succeed. They saw a power there, you know, like uh, Simon Magus. He saw a power there. And they, I mean, it was undeniable. But he did not want to see what he needed to see in order to receive the power. Somebody was talking the other day on the, on the network saying, well, you know, what about Peter who killed Ananias and Sapphira? You know, he actually was using the metaphor of a sword. Of course, he didn't strike him down with a sword. But they people actually read that. I've seen this lots of times. This is a very common perception of things. Where they think that, uh, uh, you know, that Peter killed Ananias and Sapphira. No. 
the Holy Spirit killed them. And it didn't kill them. It, you, you, when it says in the Old Testament that if you give drink to your enemy, it will be like hot coals upon his head. They're telling you a spiritual reality there. When you really want to know the truth, and you have to want to know the truth about yourself, when you really repent and start seeing your part in all the sin and corruption of the world, which means you have to look down in the bottom of your heart and see that scum and stuff that's on the... Most of you can't see the bottom of your hearts because you got so much junk in there. So much imagination. Oh, I imagine I love this and I imagine that I love that. And it feels good to love this. But you're actually over there in the tree of knowledge constructing your righteousness. You're not righteous. I'm not righteous. We're all sinners. Either, and because of that, we get feelings that are false and are, are misleading us and guiding us down the road to destruction. I mean, you can use the metaphor, the physical, real, visible metaphor of the person eating, you know, a bowl of sugary ice cream at one after another. Some, some fat person sitting there pulling chocolate out of a box and eating one chocolate after another. We used to have neighbors that, you know, the, the daughter weighed over 300 pounds. She had two daughters and they both were overweight. And every day when they came home from public school, they would stop at the store and their mother would buy them half a dozen candy bars. If they made cookies, they would eat them all up within an hour. The people smoking, you know, taking a puff on their cigarette and thinking, I should quit this. It's bad for me. And they take another puff. They're addicted. These are addictions. Well, there are all kinds of addictions. There's an addiction. Addiction is a pattern of thought where you know something is wrong and you do it anyway. You know it's not good for you and you do it anyway. You get angry. You lose your temper. Addiction. You yell at somebody on the road, you know, that can't even hear you. You know, but you're yelling now because they, they did something stupid. Addiction. Judgment. Addiction. Exercising power. Ruling over other people. Addiction. How do we break the... And, and how addiction works is that you, you develop chunks of memory that operate in a particular part of your brain in a particular part of this tree of knowledge. And we'll get into it at another time. We don't have enough time today. And you have triggers. Things that happen in your life. Stress will bring these triggers out. Little stressful things. Sometimes the stress is very tiny. Uh, but it triggers this pattern. And your brain falls into it. You know, have you ever been just kind of like you notice you're angry. And you're not even sure what you're angry about. That guy I was telling you about that couldn't remember stuff 20 seconds after it happened. But he could remember people he knew before, like his daughter would come and visit him. And he knew his daughter because he knew her from before he had this encephalitis. And so he greeted her and he's happy and he talked to her. And then she would go and talk to her mom in the other room for a little while and then she would leave. 
And he would see her going out the door. And he thinks, well, why she didn't even come over and talk to me? She just left. Well, she did go over and talk to him. But he couldn't remember it because that was more than 20 seconds before. And so all of a sudden he was sitting there and he was pounding on the chair and he was angry and he was upset and he was irritable. And, but he couldn't even remember why because 20 seconds had passed. And they were trying to figure out why was he getting angry all the time. And they noticed, well, it was usually after his daughter left. And it was because he thought she left without talking to him. So all they had to do to fix this and make this go away because he didn't know why he was angry. He couldn't remember. But he was in that pattern of anger. He was addicted to it. A trigger had taken place and he couldn't control it. So all she had to do is just before she walked out the door, within 20 seconds of walking out the door, she had to go over and talk to him for 20 seconds. And she went over and talked to him for 20 seconds and immediately walked out the door and he was fine. He never went back to the anger. The trigger was gone. Now, if you could remember everything, you know, somebody could say, well, you know, she did talk to you. And he said, oh, yeah, now I remember. He couldn't do that. And so you could counteract the trigger and get him out of that rut. But he didn't know how he fell in the rut. He didn't know he was in a rut. He just felt the experience. You do that all the time with lots of other things. I mean, that, we're giving you a symbol here. How do we help people who are seeking the kingdom of God keep from falling into the ruts of their habit of sin? We have to trick them. We have to put a plank there in the rut. We have to keep them from falling in the rut. I mean, you have to... You, we're not going to trick them, but you have to trick yourself. And this is what AA is. It helps you substitute one addiction for another. They don't get rid of... You're always an alcoholic. They tell you that. You're, hi, I'm an alcoholic. I haven't drank in 20, 10 years, 20 years. But you're still an alcoholic. Because that rut is still there somewhere in you. And you'll have to go 40 years in the desert before you get out of the rut of the sin that you have returned to today. Your whole generation has to die out and a new generation has to come up before you will, will change. Because you've accepted a lie and you've created this rut in your mind, this pattern of sin, this habit of sin, and you, and you will, but we can get you to stop getting drunk on those sins. But you gotta go to AA. You know, Addictions Anonymous. You you have to go there and go through the 12-step plan. Not because that's your salvation, because it's not. You can't. I can't trick you into the kingdom of heaven. I can't trick you into eating of the tree of life. I can't trick your mind into not falling uh, away from the tree of life. But I can, we can, through a pattern of behavior... We can keep you from falling into the ruts of sin long enough so that you can become filled with the tree of life and be changed. See, being born again. You don't actually have to go 40 years in the desert. You have to be born again. Now, a lot of the people going around thinking they're born again, they got the feeling that they're born again. They got this big feeling that they're born again, that they're saved. But they're still believing the lie. 
And that's evidence they have not been saved. They have not been born again. So what is the lie? What is that base bottom lie? Now there may be one even below this. But I know this is the deepest lie that I have found in me and in other people. I may not see the whole picture, but I know this is deep down. If we can deal with this lie, now I'm going to tell you what it is, but you know, I'm only telling your brain what it is. I'm talking to your tree of knowledge. I want to talk to the real you down there next to the tree of life. But I can't even get to that. Because you're so tangled up in the tree of knowledge. But God can get to that. So you you listen for God in what I'm saying. And we'll, we're, we're, we got to take... This is a long journey back. This is, this is a new year. This is a notable year. And I'm using that word because it's a code. I'm giving you a code. This is a notable year, 2016. It actually already began, but if we're going to go by the Roman calendar, 2016 is the notable year. And... And you'll know how notable it is when we get to the end. <laughs> but you're addicted to the idea. I'll give you a little piece of it. That is not your fault. It is your fault. You're the problem. You're the enemy. you got to accept that. you got to accept that you have need of repentance. You have need of thinking another way. You have a need of climbing down out of the tree of knowledge and fasting from the tree of knowledge long enough to develop an appetite for the tree of life. If you're mixing the metaphors and confusing the metaphors, if you're still getting angry, if you're, st- you're not there yet, if you're dividing yourself from others, if you're not coming to the meetings, you know, the AA meetings, if you're looking for a certain support group that fits your image of the truth, you're not eating of the tree of life. You, you want to gather even with sinners so that you can help them. Now, there's a point, you know, contentious spirit. It tells you in the Bible, the contentious spirit, you only give them twice. And then they're out. You don't get three strikes with the contentious spirit. That's what, We'll go into that later, but we're running out of time. So, i got to tell you the whole truth here. As to, you know, I kind of led you on that I was going to tell you what's at the bottom here. The whole world has believed that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority. It's okay to take benefits from men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. It's okay to pray to the fathers of the earth for your social welfare, for your parents' social welfare. You didn't take care of your parents. You're not taking care of your parents. They're on Social Security. You're not following the way. You're, You're sending your kids to public school. You're not following the way. But there's another step. 
And I'm, I'm just scratching the surface here. What is underneath that? People say, well, I'm not taking the benefits. I'm not taking this. And I point out the, the idea of you not taking care of your parents, not providing all the social welfare for your parents. And it goes much farther than that. Because that's a lot of guys don't take any benefits, but they're not a benefit to their parents. They're not a benefit to anybody else. They're actually dependent upon the parents and the parents' benefits in order for them to live. They're not there yet. They get, need to realize that. Because if you, that's the road back to the spirituality of eating of the tree of life. To realize that. You've screwed up. You've missed it. The problem is you. But if you don't have, in the last minutes I have to get this in, if you do not have a daily ministration that takes care of the social welfare, of a network of people that reaches out not only out of your community, but nationally and internationally, if you're not a part of that charitable network of hope and faith, if you're not striving daily to create that institution, that free will institution of charity, hope, and faith, what they call the daily ministration, then you're not seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And you're not going to find the tree of life. And you're not going to be able to eat of the tree of life. You're going to fall back into your addictions. Your contentious spirit, your division spirit, you're going to want to divorce those who came together for righteous sake. You will destroy your relationship with them. You will betray them. You will lie about them. You will eventually do that. I mean, this is what... Was Judas ever saved? Well, we're not, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Peter repented. He denied Christ and he repented. And he hadn't even received the Holy Spirit as they would at Pentecost yet. They had to come together. Everybody, That was an AA meeting, by the way, in the upper room. That's where all the addiction anonymous people were meeting in the upper room. 120 families were there. Jesus was not there. Jesus had to leave so that they would finally reach out, fasting from the tree of knowledge, to receive the Holy Spirit. And those that didn't show up, I mean, there were thousands following Christ, but only 120 names in the upper room at that AA meeting. But they showed up. They did not conjure up the Holy Spirit. They showed up and they fasted from their addictions to sin. Their denials of Christ. Their confusion. They knew they did not have the answer. That they could not do this with their own power. That their vanity made themselves an enemy of righteousness. Their pride made them an enemy of righteousness. And they blocked the Holy Spirit until they fasted from that. 
and laid themselves bare. And then the Holy Spirit could come in. We're stopping salvation with our vanity, our pride, our arrogance, our selfishness, our anger, our impatience. We have need of repentance. We'll talk about this next time on Keys of the Kingdom. God bless. Peace on your house. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.